0: Beep, 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 SOS Joe Rogan. Beep, 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 beep. So many variations. So little time. What's going on, dude? Was that late? Classic. I mean, clapic. Clapic.
1: One, two. three. Three. I didn't think you were gonna actually do it. Now I thought it was gonna to be too late. That was good, though. That was uh, that was sweet
0: comedy. <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm Ryan, Phil McKenna,
1: and, and I'm Harland Mondegreen Grant. <laughs>
0: uh, and and we're we're that dawdle
1: on a on a podcast entitled The Doddler's Philosophy
0: today talking about today Ryan. (laughs) what are we talking about today ryan thanks harlan um (laughs) (laughs) ah the the goofy sillies are out tonight it's the day after halloween what is it
1: shut up (laughs) um we're off to a good start
0: we're off to a good start oh hello ladies and gentlemen of the crowd um today's topic it's kind of you know when montague or whatever his name is over there when we uh first started thinking about like well, who are we going to talk about doing a podcast or whatever one of the things we have always mentioned was like, oh we got plenty of like articles to, that we can read and talk about if we you know, find them compelling enough or whatever. And of course, we've talked about ideas as you all 3.3 and a half listeners are acknowledged or 4.4, whatever it is now. But one of the things that we said, and we've said this because cause, uh, I got to backtrack a little. Harland and I, back when we lived in the same town, and even when we haven't lived in the same town, have this little group we call Thermic Whims with friends who are like-minded and we we ta- we basically do what we do just he and I, but with more people and more belligerents and beer and chips. And so one of the things we've sometimes done is kind of try and find little themes or ways to come up with topics to uh, chew the fat about. And one of the things that we've always talked about and we kind of included in this potential list of things we can talk about in the Doddler's philosophy podcast, um, is taking these, what are called annual questions. Maybe one out of 4.4 listeners knows what I'm about to talk about, but it's this literary agent in particular, I think science literary agent by the name of John Brockman. Um, And he, back in the eighties and nineties, had something called the reality club. It's kind of like their own version of thermic whims, but including reality. And, you know, eventually that kind of transformed the the kind of activities they would do because they're all like super, you know, rich living in New York, all the famous people, Dan, Dennett's one of those that would hang out. Stephen Jay Gould is another. I wouldn't want to be in
1: any club that has reality as a member. And so, anyway, we are <laughs> we
0: are uh, talking about this is I I've, I love my long lead ups. This is something I, I inherited from my mother. Hi, mom. <laughs> anyway, they have these things called annual questions, and they started back in the late '90s when this website called Edge.org got going. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's a, these are questions that are posed to the kind of. I don't know, the people in the John Brockman circle, the reality club kind of people. They got lots of different kinds of questions every year. I think the last one was, what's the last question was like this last year's one, which I don't know if that means they're all getting too old to do this anymore or something. But So we were like, oh, we can always do one of those questions. And I think recently we just kind of looked at the list and we were like, Well, we like maybe three (laughs) questions, maybe. And so the one we decided is this one that was posed in 2005 and it is what do you believe is true even though you cannot prove it and so when that question is posed typically what happens is all these various people who've been asked to give some kind of response they all write in and give their response to the question and so, anyway, that is the question. What do you believe is true, even though you cannot prove it?
1: Yeah. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Well, sort of. Well, maybe. Nice. Because I want to... Oh, contrary, Before we get started with that, I kind of want to uh, question the question again. <laughs> Jesus. Because cause pretty much every important component of the question I have problems with. <laughs> so before I can even talk about, like play along and play the game and do it and talk about what I believe is true even though I can't prove it, I have to like reformulate it into a way that is acceptable to this normative meta-epistemological skeptic general semantics proponent (laughs) person and i mean some of the real answerers poked at the question a little bit but i have even more things to say about it yes some of the answers did poke at it
0: there was like a mathematician who was like proof Ah!" and then they went on you know yeah, I'm with him on that one. Yeah, but he only chose one word because he's like, I'm a mathematician. We do proofs. Proof! You know, and you, sounds like, have like the whole
1: block <laughs> you have problems with. Everything must be criticized.
0: Everything must be Problematized.
1: Go. Yeah. Um. All right, so where do we start? All right, what do you believe? All right, well, what the hell is that? Belief is a big one. I've typically been the sort of person who might walk around uttering the sentence, well, I don't believe anything. Or (laughs) or think that it is more epistemically responsible or somehow a superior position to at least strive not to have beliefs. But even so, then it's kind of like, well, what does belief mean? It's a pretty high-level abstraction, complicated question. Some of the more basic candidates i think would be like considers to be true and that sounds like a what they probably mean here given that it reads what do you believe is true even though blah blah blah, and then as we've talked about in well let me get to the truth i don't know so i know another one (laughs) could just be like acts as if if it means considers true that's the kind where i'm like i don't really want to do that i don't consider anything to be true if it just means the kind of Dennett intentional stance thing uh, reference to episode 12 where (laughs) to have a belief is to be well described and predicted by attributing a set of beliefs and desires to you then i nor anyone else can probably help that because we're behaving and then some clever scientist can come along and describe our behavior as though it's been motivated by some set of beliefs, but then they have the problem of, well, like, which one? Any given behavior can be described by an indefinite number of mutually exclusive doxastic sets that could describe the genesis of that behavior. So, yeah, I know that's a problem, but, you know. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) given that... The way they phrase it is, what do
0: you believe is true?
1: I think that probably they just mean more along the lines of, what do you consider to be true? And I'm like, well, I don't want to do that, but all right, whatever. Consider to be what? (laughs) Because true is even probably a bigger bag of worms. Can of worms? What do you keep worms in? It's a bag of worms. Uh,
0: I think cans are, are where. Where worms come from.
1: Yeah, but now under the Trump tariffs, nobody can afford worm cans anymore, so I have a worm bag. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. Carnivants! We've talked about truth in pretty much every episode that has been my fault, including episode four entirely and directly about truth. And the general attitude that I, and if I may, speak for the Dawdler's philosophy... This podcast is kind of coming to is that we like to define truth with the classic correspondence theory that to be true is to somehow symbolically represent that which is the case. But to follow along quickly behind that definition and say, but none of us likes to take positions regarding the correspondence truth of any given utterance. So... You know, what do I believe is true, even though I can't prove it? Well, I'm probably going to want to change truth, as I often do, to something more along the lines of, does it have a good argument? Uh, Episode 10. And then like this mathematician guy says, I also have a bell go off in my head when I hear the word prove, because as this semantic conservative that i tend to be i'm like well yeah but proof has a perfectly good definition but it's very specific it applies all and only to the activities within formal systems like math or logic or these kind of things where the name of the game is listing off valid deductions of formulas from axioms based on rules of derivation that's a proof right? You take A as an axiom, and then you say, oh, well, we have the law of non-contradiction, so now I can derive. It is not the case that not A or whatever, and you can apply the rules to the things and work your way down. Those are proofs, I think. So, because many English speakers have pulled the word out of that application and started to use it all over the place, I want to resist. Nothing can be proven in that sense that i think is intended by the spirit of the question but you can just replace that with these persuasive arguments it's not about proving it because what does that even mean and then if you know then you're like well you can't do that let's just look for an argument is there anything left by taking it all apart what do you believe is true even though you can't prove it oh jesus there's a bunch of yous in there well you know, I don't exist. Uh, there's uh, no me. What are you talking about? Huh? <laughs> eh? Huh? Eh? No. we am not going to do that. That's too, too much, too much <laughs> radicalism for one night. I know, and
0: usually we reserve it for the end. But we're just going to go right off the bat and just... Gah!
1: Howard Dean style. So, all right, I won't do that. That's too much. I won't argue that there's no you. But I still want to do something with that aspect and say that I'm not too interested, nor, and I even think this is more in the spirit of what was probably intended by the question. It doesn't really matter whether I can or can't prove something, because that's just an arbitrary contingent fact about an inability of me. And I think there's all kinds of stuff that I can't prove even though I'm convinced that those who ought to know better can. So instead of emphasizing whether or not I can prove it, I think I'd like to back off to just be like, are there good reasons to think that there is an argument for this accessible, whether or not I feel equipped to make it at any given place and time? So to wrap it all up, I'd like to rephrase the question, judge. Do it. So I think we should turn what do you believe is true even though you cannot prove it into the question, what claims do you accept with a higher degree of confidence than you suspect that there are currently constructible good arguments in favor of? To me, that backs us out of all of these bear trap concepts that could potentially undermine the entire project, but still basically gets at the spirit of what we're doing, right? What claims do you accept with more confidence than you think you ought to based on the arguments you're aware of or whatever, you know? What do you think of that, like, rephrase?
0: I like it. But to be honest with you, there is one part that I just want to ask about, and it is the currently constructible... Is that you know? I think one of the things about these questions is that there's a brevity to them. There's a sort of fast, actionable ability for someone to drop that sentence into the uh, tap, as you and Dan Dennett like to say, and then just you know go with it from there. But I, 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 when I get to currently constructible, I'm like, what was the beginning of the sentence? Is there a way that you would feel comfortable condensing that even further? Right. Like, what would be the shorter hand, just even if it means subtracting some words, what words would you get rid of in that sentence?
1: Yeah, I'm happy. I mean, I agree with you that as phrased, it's a mouthful. One thing that's difficult about it is to pull that out and not replace it with some sort of personal subjective construction, that we don't want to go back to claims that you accept with a higher degree of confidence than you can argue for. Or something like that, so uh-huh, you could say something like claims that you accept with a higher degree of confidence than you suspect there are good arguments for yeah that's that's faster I mean that that i I hold on
0: to what claims do you accept by the time you're at good arguments for mm-hmm. so let's say that then <laughs> sounds good, so Harlan, do you have any claims that you accept with a higher degree of confidence? than you suspect there are
1: good arguments for? Of course not. What do you think I am? (laughs) I'm I'm entirely epistemically responsible. (laughs) All right, well, then I guess it's just on me, then. Um, No, I I came up with few. Okay, I want you to begin, because I'm guessing when you say few, that's more than I have. Okay, let me start with this one. I think it's relatively interesting. I've got some pushback on it before. But I still feel mm. this way. I still, you know, cause, I mean, okay. that's what we're all about, right? We're yeah. gonna think around here. So it's kind of a multi part one, but the way it often comes up and is phrased is as a response to the question we did alien considerations mm. recently. Well, let's say that an alien did okay. come down and that it was clever enough because we wouldn't be right away. That we'd be in the, what is that recent one with the Amy Adams and stuff where they squirt the ink circles? Arrival. Arrival. Yeah, the the humans would be having a hard time trying to figure it out. But let's say that the aliens are clever enough that they develop a communication method or a translation method so that we can talk to each other. A question is, do you think that there would be any concepts, claims, ideas technologies, social strategies, whatever, that there would be some sort of concepts that the aliens would have and utilize and would even maybe just be common sense to them by now, but that human beings could never understand. There's just some lack in either the English language or in our brains, that there are inaccessible concepts to me. I... (laughs) What am I supposed to say? That's a claim that I suspect Uh is wrong. I think that there are no concepts inaccessible to me. But I also don't think that there are great arguments for that right now. And I could easily be wrong, but I still want to hold on. I still think that. That if I were talking to the aliens, there's nothing that I couldn't grok.
0: That's interesting.
1: I think I, of course, would fall on the other side...
0: As I probably naturally do on these subjects I am much more The picture is incomplete And at, it could it could be incomplete Because I'm not saying it would be incomplete forever But I would just say that at the beginning And within your fucking lifetime That it would not You wouldn't be able to understand it Maybe Five generations later we would Or something like that Or, or maybe three or I don't know But, like, right away, Harlan's in the ship in Arrival, and they're just trying to communicate some concept. And uh, no matter how hard you try, you just don't get it. I'm open to that possibility. I don't have a very good argument for that, other than the one that we kind of threw around in the Aliens episode, which was this sample size of N equals 1, we use just ourselves and communicating with ourselves as a means to extrapolate out. We use essentially a single data point And then from there we get everything. That's the only thing that kind of stops me up. It's sort of that, well, it has to be carbon based and yours is, is not the same, but it still feels like you're pulling from the same thing. The other thing I would then say would be, is, are we doing this? Is that okay? If I'm like throwing this stuff out there and then you can try and, I don't know. I don't know. We didn't really talk about what we do once we threw it out there. But I'm just gonna go with this. All is permitted. Does it have to be something above you, or is it possible that there's like some kind of, you know, like could it be an organism that doesn't use like spoken language or whatever? Could there be quote unquote like concepts that an octopus or whatever is is attempting to communicate to you, but you just don't get? Maybe it's the idea of the lost Amazonian tribes thing that we were talking about where it's like you just don't even or the Phil Niche theory thing where it's just like you don't even get what you don't get. Like you need to be really clever, you need to probably be lucky and you know, to be able to go, wait a minute, I I'm catching a signal, you know, be all Star Trek-y, You know, I'm catching a some in piece of information's not jiving with other stuff and holy shit now look at this you know we've got these invisible space leeches on our face like in that voyager episode anyway you know that kind of thing or maybe it was the one with data and he has the telephone in his stomach and everybody's having these weird dreams and it's because like there's some kind of invisible anyway (sighs) so that's all i'm trying to say is that we have this really small sample size I'd like to see you, if, if octopi have concepts, I'd like to see you grok that. And then we could start to say, oh, okay, well, maybe, you know, I don't, does your dog, does does Knox have concepts, you think? I mean, he's a mammal, so you might be able to say, well, we evolved and, you know, we have we have a shared ancestry more recent and or something like that. But I'm trying to find something that's like, you know, like people love to talk about the, the cephalopods because they're sort
1: of just, they're so alien. You know, or whatever. Anyway. What do you think? This is one of the reasons why these sorts of questions, I think, can be a lot of fun. Like the edge question that we kind of start with, and then we modify, and then we attempt to address. And already, there's like a dozen (laughs) things that I want to talk about. Real quick, terminological thing in the first place. I don't know how many people do or don't know what grok means. As I understand it, it comes from the Robert Heinlein novel, Stranger in a Strange Land, where we have an alien visitation. And <laughs> there's questions about it's, it's, it's sort of supposed to mean something deeper than mere understanding, right? It basically means understanding, but like a thorough understanding with your cognitive faculties and your emotions. And just it's just this really deep and complete Understanding that's what it means, right? Yeah, I always thought it was like just, yeah, I don't know if I'm
0: going off the rails here, but I always heard the term used when somebody's playing a video game and you're watching them play it. It's like you can see, you know what I mean, what they're experiencing because you're not playing against them, focusing on your guy and trying to, you know, you're literally like with them, you know, sort of being John Malkovich or whatever. I don't know if that's also. A kind of play on the basic idea and then you just kind of expand it out into these other areas you know mission creep kind of thing anyway
1: i that sounds good that it's immersive yeah immersive immersive. yeah you're just sort of like
0: you know i don't know the person's walking around the hallways in a video game with a gun or something and they're shooting zombies and you're just watching them play where if you go to youtube you can watch literally video games yeah and you do you've done stuff like this where people literally watch you play right with Mm -hmm. you at a team and you guys were out there and people just
1: and i don't know i find it enjoyable too anyway so yeah i don't know how often we use these terms that uh four out of our 4.4 people are like what 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 are you (laughs) talking about yeah sure so anyway that's what we mean with this guac term that it's, a, it's understanding, but even better. It's really it's understanding squared. Okay. <laughs> so one of the things that you're bringing up is between humans and cephalopods or something like that. And, okay, so I'm a Quinean indeterminacy of translation type guy. I don't think that anyone ever groks anyone else, even you and I both speaking English as well as we do to mm. each other. Sure. I don't think walking happens, period, ever, you know, so there's that, and then there's the radical aspect of, if it were I trying to understand the dolphins, the whales, the octopi, whatever, that I would not even be able really to get started, and if I did, I would just be doing some sort of behavioristic analysis, you know, you kind of start by trying to figure out if they have ascent and descent, and then asking yes or no questions over and over again to try to learn a few basic terms and then work from that basis and whatever. It's all very difficult and questionable. So that's why I wanted to stress, I wanted to reduce that aspect by offloading this onto the extraterrestrial stellar travelers. Let's assume or pretend that they are smarter than we, and have solved these sorts of problems. They have a Douglas Adams babblefish or whatever that they can drop in your ear, and it. they have technology that is able to translate between languages. I wanted to minimize that problematic in order to make the conceptual claim about whether or not there would be ideas that I couldn't understand if we didn't worry about The translation aspect. There's going to be linguistic aspect. I see. I see. Right. And then we've got the what I consider trivial. This part's just trivial. (laughs) Of course, there may be ideas that I could never understand if, for example, they took longer to express than my lifespan. But that's not what I mean when I say can't understand. Right. You're in. So also, I want to take that off of there. Let's Mm -hmm. say I can live forever foreshadowing to a later claim. (laughs) Let's say I can live, whatever, take that one off. Some of the sub-claims that I think I would want to make, which also would probably count as things, as claims that I would buy into beyond what I might be able to argue for well, Mm -hmm. would be that English is unlimited. Maybe in an analogous sense to how we might think that number theory or something is, has all arithmetic truths in it or something. I think that languages as extensive and living and changeable and you can coin new terms and you can do anything as fancy and advanced as English can say all cons, there's nothing ineffable in English would be another claim that I would tend to like but not be confident I could argue for. That's a subclaim, though,
0: you're saying as well, right?
1: Yeah. Part of the you can, you know. I think you need that one in order to get to the alien grokking claim. That sounds like some kind of Chomskyan thing, right? That's not where I would attribute it. I don't know. Maybe. What do you mean? Someone like Steven Pinker likes to talk about
0: sort of the infinite power of language. Uh, He actually says infinite combinatorial power. But there is a specific phraseology that Chomsky actually says, and I don't remember off the top of my head right now, which sucks. But anyway, obviously it's not a big deal. It would have been awesome if I could have just thrown it (laughs) out there and been like, like this, island, And you've been like, wow, Ryan, you're so knowledgeable. Except there is no
1: knowledge claims. Anyway, let's do this. No, you're just an erudite motherfucker. All right. (laughs) were yeah. are you still trying to finish this Chomsky thing <laughs> um, uh, uh, uh keep continue i this one i am i more feel that i would su- suspect that there are good arguments in its favor, but i also would be a fan of the claim that our symbolic capacities are that which make us special sets us apart from the other non-symbolic animals, and that, the, and that there's something really special, unique, different about being able to have purely arbitrary and indefinitely extendable symbol systems, and that we as human animals do seem to have that ability, that I'm unaware of any persuasive arguments that any other earthbound animals have them, but that if any did, then we should be able to exchange all of our concepts with them, and then if there were an extraterrestrial symbol symbolic species mm. that we ever encountered, that we should be able to mutually, completely exchange our conceptual schemes. Okay. By the way, I found that thing. <laughs> Wait, okay, say it now, and then you can go back and cut and paste. You where, just, what exactly. do you, okay, say uh uh uh
0: you mean uh Wilhelm von Humboldt's infinite use of
1: finite means, Harlan? Precisely <laughs> cut and
0: paste. No.
1: All right. I don't know anything about that. But it's that phrase sounds good. Yeah. Sounds great. Sounds infinite. Okay. Continue. Oh, well that's it. I kind of have made and repeated the claim a couple of times. Okay, I don't know you've... if you have anything more to say about it. But that's just a thing that I find interesting. I tend to buy that claim, but I also not so sure there's great arguments for it. hmm I mean, I'll just, you know,
0: provisionally accept those because, you know, of the scope we're in right now rather than go down another road because i think you have a few ones you want to put out there and i want to hear them <laughs> and i was just like and four hours later we're still going on about symbols and its significance not that i'm not saying it's not significant <clears throat> is it my turn so, okay oh, yeah, if ahead. you
1: want to if you've got one and want to go yeah yeah i've got one
0: i have two Yours are sounds so much more, like, profound. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Minor, Big surprise. Like, I know. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't say I know that. I just, Christ, Ryan, pay attention. All right. Um, okay, so here's one that I have. And in the spirit of the rephrasing, you know, what claims do you accept with a higher degree of confidence than you suspect? there are good arguments for. It. I hope that these fall into that kind of way. I was I was thinking about it earlier and I was trying to I was trying to think about what are the things that, you know, I just think and and uh, that don't dink. Um so here's one. Uh I think that detecting life as we know it, whatever that is, biological systems, carbon-based, within our solar system, detecting life as we know it within our solar system, wouldn't make significant inroads to extinguishing our sort of existential status of, quote-unquote, being alone in the universe. Life on Mars wouldn't mean anything to the question, is there life in the universe? Initial, like, gut thing that I have about that is that it's just too close like if the universe is as big as they say then who fucking cares i mean jesus christ we're all down here on earth like sneezing our asses off and farting and shitting all over the place some of that goo is about to get somewhere else or maybe it's something that happened that's sort of inherent to our little solar system so you go to europa oh look we found carbon-based life i don't think anyone should be like yeah I think they should just be like well it's so localized here like just the fact that you know we're
1: uh, in this solar system
0: I just don't think that would mean
1: anything I, I would okay. not be excited Clarify. it. Okay. when you started expressing this I thought that you were going to be making a social psychological claim okay. that if we found microbes on Mars most humans on Earth 2018 wouldn't give a shit about that It wouldn't change anything. But then, as you continued to talk, I thought that you were shifting more towards being some sort of scientific, biological, astrobiological claim about if we found microbes on Mars, that you think the default hypothesis or the one that you would favor offhand would be that it stemmed from the same origin. Yeah, or yeah, but that somehow was dispersed. amongst more than one planet in our solar system. But you don't think that discovery of microbes on Mars would establish extraterrestrial life in the sense of it arising more than once.
0: Right. You like, would default it, to
1: being that was a share, you know, we came from the same tree.
0: I would think, yeah, that's that would be the claim that I can't really support with a good argument. That I I because I just think it. I don't really sit there and and go, whoa, Ryan. I don't ask myself questions about it. I don't spend much time on it. I just anytime anyone's like, oh, let's you know, you're, the little robots on you know the rovers and stuff on Mars are like digging through the soil desperately looking for life, you know, signs of life. I'm just like, who cares? Like, what is that really ultimately going to say for both the astrobiological questions and for? you know the are we alone in the universe if you can determine that it was sort of spontaneously forming then maybe that's uh significant but just my hunch based off of like all explanations for how like the solar system formed for all the um things like that mars rock that was in i think it was antarctica you know when it was during the clinton uh, presidential you know uh administration and uh you know everybody thought oh we found life maybe and you know what i mean like it's just and and the, the other thing is is that there was another astrobiologist lady who i think she was in Mono Lake and there was something about um uh hold on uh anthrax or something like that some kind of base like that um or some kind of molecular basis like that that was part of their dna i think she was saying something along those lines or cyanide or something, and she was saying it's wholly different and independent, and they use a very different way to make cellular transactions and stuff like that, and or intracellular transactions. And then it turns out no, it 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 was like just you know she upon looking deeper, it, it you know people realized that there wasn't any real significance to what she was claiming or whatever. So that also then every time we go out and we think we found something really, really radically different or whatever, it rarely is. And so it's just all that little stuff that kind of comes into my head. These aren't, I don't have any formulation of an argument or anything. I just, it just, I'm like, eh, I don't think it would mean anything, both astrobiologically or whatever, and like existentially as well. Like we shouldn't get our hopes up. You know, we shouldn't jump to any conclusions right. if they find that we're life not on... alone. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, it's probably us. You know, I mean, if a rock We're can still land on the us... one
1: tree in the desert, and it's not that there's a forest over the horizon that we haven't seen yet, even if we found solar system life, it's mm-hmm. probably just the result of the same tree and that it was spread around by some sort of. Asteroid impact sneeze right. a- an analogy, like you were saying. Yeah, exactly. That sounds plausible to me. Again, unfortunately, we won't be able to go back and forth on this for 45 minutes, because I think I would tend to favor that hypothesis also. Oh. Uh-huh. I guess, you know, like you were you probably already mentioned, depending on the details, if right. we found solar system life that appeared radically different genetically or that it didn't even have what we would recognize as genes or whatever right then that would be better yeah but if we found it and it resembled us significantly it also seems to me relatively safe to start with the assumption yeah it's probably just the same tree of life it's probably us yeah where we, we could probably even track
0: some common ancestry potentially you know or whatever mm-hmm. with the big data algorithms we have today so yeah that's kind of what i was that's sort of what i'm thinking so it would be it, i used to think when i was younger anyway that woo why well, wouldn't that be amazing cuz i think i just had the assumption that it would just be completely spontaneous in its separateness from us and that would be awesome but I just now that people have just continued to study the formation of the solar system, I I don't know. It just seems to me like there's a lot of movement and a lot of changes. And then all the additional things they keep kind of coming up with, like there's like p- potential, like there's this one uh, theoretical planet that's out there, but it can't be out there unless there's another one. And that other one goes with this completely crazy orbit around um the sun that's totally not on the same plane you know (laughs) and it's just like oh yeah you know what i mean it's like okay Mm -hmm. well they just they're not done so i I, you know it sounds to me like things are rollicking pretty good right now in our understanding of of this little solar system and the, the the role the cloud might play and you know pluto's in pluto's out it's just like jesus christ they find life on Mars, the next planet over. I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, it's happening. You know, like,
1: it's that's my thinking. Anyway, Sometimes I'm surprised to realize how still, from future perspectives, in which dark ages we still remain, <laughs> that... And of course, in medicine, that's very common. Like, wait, we don't know what the appendix is yet. What? <laughs> yes. Like, how dumb are we? We don't know what planets are and where and what their plane of orbit is in relation to us. Jesus Christ! I know, <laughs> morons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, that was that was
0: one of one of mine.
1: Lots of edge.org respondents talked about alien life i know we, so many so do we. i would say the two most common themes i think they did 120 respondents and as i was reading through them the ones that at least stuck on my stack memory stack the most were um various things about aliens and then the human brain Right, the brain thinks it's the greatest thing in the universe, and all these people have brains, and they're like, "I love that shit." Oh man, (laughs) the brain is so cool. Somebody, I think, even said, "I." The claim that I'm confident about but can't prove is that the brain, the human brain, is the fanciest artifact in the universe, and I'm just like, "What the hell? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard." You have no reason to think that. At, uh, like that is, oh my God, I don't know how anyone can be that <clears throat> anthropocentric and egotistical or whatever. like Jesus Christ, luckily, Fucking... they're not listening to this, but come on, <laughs> I hope well, am too. I the only one who thinks that's a stupid thing to say no, no i'm I'm with
0: you, <laughs> all right, so yeah, that's uh, so is that wait a minute though you're just that's just a fun anecdote from them. That's not your claim. Why? Would oh, they... right. I was
1: just remarking on the ears was kind of a extraterrestrial oh, life thing, and I was like, lots and lots of people talked about that. Yep. That's a place many people go. Yeah. When I leave the planet, <laughs> I my next claim that I tend to accept but cannot argue for is, as you were mentioning, a little more grandiose than that um do we still think or is it still scientific orthodoxy to think that we're in a heat death universe right like some people think it's bang crunch or whatever and then the other people are like well so there's a couple of steady staters around but a lot of people seem to think at least at a time and i don't know how popular it is nowadays that there's this arrow of time determined by the measure of entropy in the universe entropy is always increasing in a closed system the universe almost by definition is a closed system and therefore eventually it will reach a state of maximum entropy where everything is as chaotic as it can possibly be and nothing interesting will ever again happen in that universe and they call that the heat death Right. Do I have any of this right? Yeah, thanks, Lawrence Krauss. That's the Lawrence Krauss picture?
0: Well, that's the uh, one that he, I've heard him
1: talk about, and he's like,
0: and then we're all gone.
1: And, so and then everything is gone. We're gone, and every, all the aliens are gone, and everything is gone. Galaxies can't even see each other. With that as the background, yes. here's the claim. Technology is unlimited. Intelligence is unlimited. A sufficiently advanced society could reverse entropy in the universe and prevent heat death. Bam!
0: Bam! Yeah, I like that one. I can't fight with you on that one. I I just, uh, ever since the universe invented imagination, it just didn't know what it had coming. Or, the universe invented imagination to stop heat death. Yeah, something like that. I I agree. Uh, it's uh, even if, well, I don't know if if the technology would be to somehow, you know, hold back the universe or to somehow, you know, find a way to collect the things in it so that they didn't spread out or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, also, I don't, I mean, if there is like, if it's more than one universe, even though I know that's mostly just apparently theory. But if, say, if there was more than one universe, then maybe there'd be ways that we could interact with others and learn, and there's just so many. By the time you're getting to, like, <laughs> to discuss that problem, you're, you're already there, as far as we're
1: concerned, like you and I and Science 2018 on Earth. I mean, obviously we, as a not-even-type-one civilization... Dang right! are are pretty far away from being able to technologically prevent entropic heat death but that doesn't mean it can't be done it just can't be done by us cuz we suck at most things <laughs> but yeah I, I mean that would be that would be the claim i think if i'm even speaking in a parlance that is still in 2018, scientifically respectable, which itself, I'm not even confident that this phraseology is still used, but I've encountered it in various books at various times, and I'm still stuck there, because as a philosopher, we don't fucking know what's going on anywhere else, but that I would want, the claim would be that entropic heat death is technologically preventable by intelligence. And so something that's less radical about this is don't I get to rope in the whatever number law it is that says energy can't be created or destroyed. Oh, yeah, the laws of conservation. So that one seems to be potentially on my side. It's just that... Because then the question is the distribution of the energy, right? And maybe in its... In a quote-unquote natural state, we're on this arrow of increasing entropy where the distribution of energy in universe is relatively chaotic and random and increasing but if it can't be destroyed it's all still there and it's all still manipulable right so get smart people and Mm. intelligently alter the distribution of mass energy in space-time until You arrive at a steady, you know, like maybe we create a steady state universe out of one, which was default Big Bang to Heat Death universe. But if we get powerful and clever enough, why can't we turn it into a indefinitely extendable steady state?
0: What if you're totally correct, but what we don't realize is there's some concept we have yet to be able to grok And some of these guys want to accelerate the entropy. Because, I don't know. But what if that was, what if it is a steady state, and what
1: they're actually trying to do is get it to go, or something? Well, then we've got the plot. We can actually give Star Wars a plot then, or something. Yeah. Because it doesn't have one now, apparently. Uh, But, you know, that sounds like a good description of the enemy. Yeah, that does. And then Sweet. there'd be a uh a nice little struggle there that you could uh turn into some plot arcs and whatnot. Yeah.
0: I, I the enemy though has to like just because I'd I'd rather instead of it be a serious movie, I'd rather it be a Mel Brooks style. And then the enemy <laughs> right. they all just are goofy and their eyes are crossed all the time and they just run around and they're just like Ooh. anyway.
1: It's gotta be that way. Anyway, um, yeah. So, all right, you don't have anything, you don't have any complaints about that one. Nice. (laughs) What about just the claim that nothing is impossible given sufficient technology? So how about one of the people in this, I don't know if I wrote it down so that I would remember. Oh, I think it was Kurzweil that said, right? For example, faster than light communication. He thinks should be possible, and I'm like, "Yep, let's. Do, why not?" <laughs> so I'm saying no limits, no technological limits, including the speed of light, including you name it. Do you have any problems with that one? And that, no, just because it's
0: like, okay, go ahead, have your no limits technology. I think that kind of a claim is beyond the bounds upon which I think, anyway the practical skeptical types could really say anything about i mean what i mean they could try but it wouldn't i they would just have to be like well okay you know like i i'm not quite i mean you can we can talk about limits but always you know with respect to what's not happening for us right now what troubles we're having and what whatever it is like we're limited by our ignorance or something like that and we just have to get over that hump and then we won't be limited by it anymore you know that kind of thing like it's always provisional it's always temporary and but i think a lot of times we just have are we nearsighted or farsighted if we can't see far i don't remember farsighted anyway um, i don't know which one it is i
1: always oh, yeah you wear glasses counterintuitive to me as well
0: anyway it's whatever 4.4 listeners it's whatever that is you can't see far you know you're just focusing on like what's right in front of your nose and but if you were to be able to get somebody to kind of just acknowledge you know pretend you know you're an alien species that is you know way beyond our technological capabilities or something like that then your little problems aren't worth referencing now you know what i mean like that's all i'm trying to say is it it just goes above and
1: beyond and then you're just kind of in that realm and you're like okay That's my thinking, anyway. Right. I guess this is kind of a sub-claim of another one, and maybe so that would maybe even falsify my claim that this one isn't well-arguable for, because I think that the following claim can be well-argued. Anything is possible. Oh, yeah, that one. You like that one a lot. I like that one a lot. But that one basically, to me, has an epistemic argument and it becomes transmogrified into the claim, no one ever has a good reason to assert an impossibility. And then we just say that that's whatever it is, whatever the logical term for that rephrase is, that that's saying the same thing. Yeah, it is. It's just you,
0: when you say it the first way, the epistemic
1: way, Um, then... It has a tacit clause on the beginning that runs as far as i know anything is possible i'm not actively and positively asserting that everything is possible i'm just saying i'm not willing to call anything impossible so in that sense as far as i'm concerned everything's possible i think that's i think you did a good job arguing for that one or you can and
0: it sounds like you if you wanted to just lift off on that you could so i don't know if that necessarily falls into the same grouping as this question is asking
1: yeah yeah but what kind of does and extends yeah since i already know that you only have one more i'm kind of (laughs) throwing out a few yeah yeah. one that's related to this and is related to another one of the respondents rupert sheldrake Mm. who himself is potentially part of the future of this podcast we're having him on or something no i'm joking (laughs) Nah, we don't have guests, fuck them. Yeah. We don't need them, we'll just talk about their ideas. All they do is eat our food and drink our wine. Let's see if we can get your chimp up on this claim. Alright. <laughs> that Sheldrake kind of, he has a different spin on it, but the way I would just say it is, there are no laws of nature. <laughs> That's great. No, that doesn't get my chimp up, God damn it. Um... <laughs> We've spoken for too many years and become too agreeable, cause you know reasonable people can't disagree. Uh. No, it's not that. It's just that I once had
0: something to say about the laws, and I said it to, to you once, and you were like, "Yeah," and then now I don't remember what it was. <laughs> oh, it was something about how laws come out come about. Because at the time, or maybe it was something to do with the fact that people
1: were religious. Oh, that what we call natural laws are a grandchild of divine command yeah, laws. Yeah, right. That that which God decrees, and then this species of monkeys who believes in that God is willing to say, "Yeah, nobody mm-hmm. can uh, break God's laws." Right. Then we stop believing in God, like Nietzsche says, and then we, but we want to keep. That institution of there being inviolable universals. So then we just say, well, they're not God's laws, they're nature's laws.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself, <laughs> and I didn't. But that was the idea. <laughs> Thanks for uh, giving me. Yeah. I, I, w- I like that idea. And that, as a <laughs> sort <take> of credit,
1: <laughs> you know, Nietzschean genetics of where natural law comes from. I don't know. If it would hold up, if you wrote a whole dissertation about it or not, someone probably has. Yeah. But it has a surface plausibility to me that that's where our tendency, our habit of positing laws comes first from religion, from mm-hmm. religious impulse. Surface
0: plausibilities.
1: <laughs> that's what we're going for on The Doddler's Philosophy.
0: <laughs> we only got two hours.
1: So Sheldrake's spin on this is that he uses the term habit instead. And I kind of like that. It's kind of organismal, which is out of fashion or whatever, but that what other people are calling laws, Sheldrake calls habits, that they become somehow, it's more of an evolutionary picture, that as stuff is happening universally, whatever that is, that various tendencies become prevalent and maybe they self-sustain maybe they influence each other and then we kind of calcify into these habits that don't appear to change very fast or very often at least from the perspective of human beings but our perspective is very limited well so and yeah no no go ahead and what i don't know (laughs) nice it's like, it's a different way to say um, because you can't say you know and um too many times. Sometimes you add a different conjunction and hope that your brain will come up with something to say by the time you're done. Uh,
0: um and you know are like, ah, oh, sometimes I'm like, is that every other word? Sometimes I go, um, you know, a lot. So I'm like, um, you know, uh, and then I'll say something, you know, and then, um, <laughs> anyway, it's all right. Anyway, um, Did I just? I was like, "Um, fuck." (laughs) And it's funny because, like, I'm probably one of the. I say it a lot to myself, but when people say, "I mean," and then they go into, usually it's like an interview, in like some kind of like locker room. It's after the game, or it's before the game, (laughs) whatever the hell it is, and the inner, you know, this the journalist, the beat reporters, like ask the person a question and they just immediately go, I mean, and then they start saying something. I'm like, what do you mean? You mean, you didn't say, you could just say (laughs) something. And then they need to be clarified. And then you say, I, what I mean is, and then the shorthand of that is, I mean, and here I am going like, um, you know, you know, um, so whatever. Uh, The fuck were you trying to say? What I was trying to say before I interrupted myself and then just kept on going was, I recall in the past me saying tendency and you getting all up on my back about that and I being like, Jesus Christ, tendency I can't even use. And then I'm not saying I need permission from you, but like in your presence, per- tendency doesn't work for you. And But you're okay with habit. And I'm like, people biting their nails is a habit, you know? And I just, it it has such a negative connotation uh, at times it also has uh as you said an organismal connotation, and for those reasons that it's so married to those things, I don't like habit. I'm just like, "Come on, man and also it gives this additional what I don't like about the idea of habit is that it kind of smacks, and this is probably going to help me in your case when someone says there are habits of the universe, it's like someone being like the whole universe is conscious or whatever. Like it's that kind of wishy washy shit. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up. Come on. God damn it. <laughs> Tendencies is a sort of removed. I don't know. Uh, when I try and gather information about it, this is more than this. Most of the time, you know, like that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for habit. I think I, he likes that phrase. Cause it's colorful and, and poetic in a way. Um, and it gives this sort of endearing quality to nature. You know, oh, nature has habits. Well,
1: yeah, he's a, basically a, a what a, a I know. pan-biologist. Or he wants to hold th- a new science of life, mm-hmm. or whatever his book was called. He's all about the whole universe being alive in some sense. And Yeah, you know, of course, then it would have habits. Morphogenetic, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, resonance. Morphogenetic well, resonance. Morphic resonance, yeah. Oh, um, yeah that's right. Harland? November 2018 likes Tendency, so I don't know what earlier version you hadn't updated oh your software yet, but I'm fine with Tendency, that's good. So and it sounds like you just have some connotative pollution with habit, and that's fine.
0: Yeah, I like that we throw around your phrase, connotative pollution. That's a good one. I'm going to make it a thing.
1: It, or, this is going to be a thing.
0: Or was that what we're calling them now? I thought they were
1: memes. That's another yeah. one, because I, I, I just... A thing I mean. is a relatively successful meme. So it's oh. all memes. We're all bouncing memes around. But then some memes do well temporarily. And while they're doing well, we say that that meme is a thing.
0: Mm.
1: mm. In a highly colloquial manner. Sweet. Next topic. Is it me now? Is it my yes. last one, sort of?
0: Do it. This one is like, my last one, I thought, was sort of small potatoes. <laughs> this Is, is this like, even smaller? So much smaller. It's hilarious. Oh, my God. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm like, you're all like, eh, universe. You know? We're going to fix heat death. Yeah. There's no laws. Everything, no laws. Anything's possible. <laughs> Infinite. And now it's like, put on the elevator music. Here we go. Oh, I feel embarrassed just, like, saying, because these are the things that I ponder. I'm like, oh, this is cool. No, it's it's fine. It's going to be great. <laughs> okay. Um, You're all right. I've been meaning to make a pun off the heat death thing with you turning off your heater in the little shack there. <sighs> but uh, I just haven't found it yet. Okay. All right, here we go. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus
1: Christ, this one is so I'm small I'm sitting down
0: I should have started with this one And then we got up to heat depth <sighs> It's physics though, sort of Yeah, I mean, of course it is <clears throat> So, I, actually, I'm not going to read it I'm, I'm going to give this one a little lead in Like you've been doing uh, So this one's about <laughs> This one's a geological one And it's sort of, it's just a pattern I noticed uh, looking at, um, you know, sort of a plot of, uh, I'm in the Pacific Northwest of the United States of America to the Republic for which I stand. Um, And I was looking at just the map, uh, it's like, it was like a topic relief map. So for those people, it's like, looks, you can see the mountains and the river valleys and stuff. And I was looking at the Cascade volcanoes. So in the Pacific Northwest, running north-south, kind of, you know, relatively even distance from the coast, from uh, way northern Washington down to way northern California, is just dotted along, uh, more or less in a line, these They used to be called, well, some people probably still do call them stratovolcanoes. I learned them as being called composite cones, meaning they're just comprised of various different kinds of eruptive materials, and they still form this big old cone. So near where I live there's one called Mount Hood and another one called Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens erupted quite uh, uh, violently, at least as far as we're concerned around. Uh, the United States and whatnot. And uh, it was in 1980. Anyway, there's Mount Adams, Mount Rainier, I think is the largest cascade volcano. Anyway, it goes down, there's Mount Jefferson, there's a really large park, national park called Crater Lake, and that's a collapsed volcano after an eruption. And so you just have this caldera that's there and it's filled up with water ever since. It's a lake now. Anyway, and then down into... California, there's Medicine Lake, there's another volcano, and then there's uh, Lassen Peak. Way to the north, you got Glacier Peak and Mount Baker, and that's north of, like, Seattle even. So this mountain range, or this volcanic arc, I was just noticing, but there are these two significant gaps between... (laughs) Harlan's just probably, like, gone out to go take a leak, and he's just, like, chatting with his family. And he's like, yeah, no, we're just doing whatever. Anyway, between Mount Rainier and Glacier Peak and between Medicine Lake and Crater Lake, there's a gap. And I haven't measured it or anything yet, which I probably should at some point just for fun when I have the spare time. But the distance between those mountains, those two sets of mountains, is larger than the distance between any other. Just looking at it. And I'm sure measuring it would be also the same or just going to google maps and saying what's the difference anyway and literally just west adjacent to both of those gaps is what are known as accreted terrains which all throughout the pacific northwest there are these accreted terrains as here's here's the lesson folks as a oceanic crust because you know there's rocks down there is moving along and being subducted under a continental crust, like the one I'm sitting on, and the one probably anyone else who's listening is, well, maybe someone's on an island. But most people, we live on the continents. So ocean crust gets subducted under the continental crust. And sometimes what happens is volcanic rocks and uh, islands form, like Hawaii or something like that, out deeper Uh, or out further in the ocean. But they get carried along as the crust moves and as the convergence of the two different, uh, the oceanic crust and plate, if you will, that's also what it's known as, and the continental plate, say, North America, converge. And they just literally, like, if you were to take your hands and have one pointed down and one pointed more or less straight across and you were to bring them together, it'd be like if your fingertips rubbing against your knuckles were scraping off your skin and that skin got attached to your fingertips. That's the idea of an accreted terrain is this large body of eruptive material that is sitting on an oceanic plate or slab or whatever you want to call it. And it literally just gets stuck because it can't get subducted under, but there are these big blocks of their own thing that, you know, and this whole, you know, pacific northwest has just got a bunch of them the willowas are in accreted terrain the blue mountains in oregon are accreted terrain the olympic mountains are in accreted terrain the klamath mountains are in accreted terrain and so just directly west of these gaps the one between medicine lake and crater lake is the klamath mountain range the accreted terrain and then just north of it uh or just to the north, the north gap, I guess I could call it, between Mount Rainier and Glacier Peak is the Olympic Mountains. Oh, and by the way, if you ever look at Vancouver Island, that big island, that's that's a terrain, and it's going to get accreted eventually onto North America. But right now, there's a little bit of water between the North American continent and the Vancouver Island. Anyway, um, so... Um, my claim, if I, if I may, is that the Olympic and Klamath Mountains uh, accreted terrains are kind of impeding the Wanda Fuca uh, slab, which is this small little remnant slab of what was a much larger uh, plate that formed the Sierra Nevada range, um, and it was going even back to the time of the dinosaurs. So the Olympic and Klamath Mountains created terrains are impeding the Juan de Fuca slab. I don't know exactly how. And that's why there's a gap, though, because uh, between the two mountains, between, say, you know, again, the the North Gap and the South Gap, that I guess I'll be calling now. um, And I don't know exactly why, but it would be disrupting what our model is, at least, of how... We get these volcanic arcs in the first place, which is that the subducting slab, oceanic slab, as it gets crammed into the mantle, and there's all this crazy physics of pressure and temperature going on. It essentially what happens is it dewaters that slab, that pressure, that temperature. So any water that's in the rocks gets lost, and water will lower the melting point of the surrounding rocks, which will create this sort of molten body that's melting because the water is being lost as it's being subducted that molten body then due to buoyancy like when you boil water or convection in the atmosphere you know it's just a density current if you will um the buoyancy will rise up through various uh, you know releases of pressure and cracks and whatnot and come up and then be erupted at the surface So my thinking is that, my claim, I have no proof whatsoever, is that those accreted terrains are somehow stopping the slab from doing anything. I don't know what the mechanism is, uh, but it's somehow, I don't know if the slab's getting all crumpled up or if there's nothing to this at all. I don't know if it's stopping the watering process. I don't know if the slabs themselves are also kind of chunked down there and are kind of too different. There's a, you know, rocks can melt and solidify at different temperatures and pressures and so some are harder than others to melt and do physical work on so maybe that's having an impact i i'm not exactly sure i would think at those temperatures and pressures it shouldn't matter but maybe there's something happening like the the wandafuca slabs being crumpled up or slowed down or something but there's no volcanoes where that you would think just in the steady step of those Uh, increments between the volcanoes that there should be a couple there, but there aren't. And instead, just to the west, there are these accreted terrains. You're welcome, world.
1: I'm done. Okay, (laughs) I'm back. What? (laughs) No. Uh, You have no idea, because this is an audio recording, how long-lasting and wide- in Expanse, was my smile during all of this. Because I'm thinking, this is why the dawdler's philosophy is a thing. You know? <laughs> it's, it's wonderful that we have... Like, don't be embarrassed. <laughs> just like- you know? I'm sitting over here with geologics envy because I'm like, yeah, whatever. I can just say all this random shit about we can fix heat death. Or <laughs> and you have a manageable sized problem and some reasonable speculation about said problem. And it like, I don't know. Was, I liked it. It was fun and great. I'm going to attempt to see what parts of it old weather and I understood and didn't. <laughs> Lo- I, <love> it. <laughs> <laughs> I think in general, I didn't understand it, but Let me, you know, say some things, and then you can correct and add and whatever. Okay. So you're talking about a relatively small geographical region that you're relatively familiar with, but that you think that this region is a good exemplar of a potential geologic principle that is either under or not yet appreciated or explained, to your knowledge, in Earth Science 2018, and maybe you could use your theory about what's happening in Pacific Northwest to establish a general principle about the way rocks, water, heat, tectonic motion, etc., influence each other. Is that kind of the ballpark we're playing in?
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of the ballpark we're playing in. The small-minded version is just, hey, I want to see if it's, going on here you know the bigger picture thing might be able to say yeah what happens when you interfere with subducting slabs and you know convergence zones and plate tectonics you know does that create some kind of an effect on where volcanoes might come up to the surface or not Uh, but in general it's just a you know oh i got a case and i'm gonna solve the case kind of (laughs) science you know what i mean it's a little bit i think more in that uh, vein, but definitely I mean if it if, I mean it, physical systems wonderful thing about them is that for the most part, you can kind of apply their you know their principles you know whatever
1: whatever you figure out you can try and apply it elsewhere and see if it is uh generalizable is the anomaly in question the distribution of volcanic pimples on the face of earth yeah, totally great one. <laughs> okay, given the location of these other volcanoes and the pattern of their dispersal, we would expect there to be some volcanoes in this region, but we don't see any. No. And that's the question that, I know that Ryan is attempting to address with his answer. We don't see them here because this is an accretion zone, and the somehow the act of accretion has influenced and inhibited the... Emergence of a volcano. Yeah. Is that right? That's it. Okay. Yep. Yep. And then, so, all right. Idiot humans who aren't Earth scientists, when we think about melting things, we think about ice cubes, maybe plastic, at most something like sandbox sand, whatever. We don't think about what appear to human being scale interactions, rocks, hard stuff. Uh-huh. as being a candidate for a melting process but that's just because we don't know the field right rocks melt too uh-huh. is one of your points was yeah. another of your points i thought i had this and then you changed it later that the amount of saturation through a layer of rock the amount of water in it changes its melting point or some i'm sure that's poorly phrased was there anything like that say that one more time (laughs) the amount of water in a certain layer of rock changes its melting point yeah okay that's right so that if we envision a rock layer like a kitchen sponge or something that it has a certain amount of water in it and that can it can slowly evaporate over the day or you can spray some water on it and it'll soak that up, or you can set it on top of some water and it'll soak that up, whatever. That the amount of water in the sponge is always changing through various factors. One of the factors that can change the amount of water in it is if you bring your biology textbook in and set it on top of the sponge, right? That you weigh it down and change the pressure so then water will probably come out, it will be pressed out and it'll go on your countertop. Mm Mm-hmm. So is that at all analogous to what you're suggesting might be the case with an accretion zone? Some other geologic factor causes a heavy weight to be placed on top of some rock layer, which then pushes out some of the water, which then makes it harder to melt, therefore harder to turn into a volcano. You mean before it reaches like deeper into the mantle? I don't know. Is that what I mean?
0: Well, I mean, <laughs> would that, that, me? I, that would be interesting. Um, but I'm I don't just
1: know. T- like, I'm just going off of as a hundred percent ignoramus about this, trying to figure out what you were saying and trying to analogize it to things I'm more familiar with and whatever. Right. Yeah. So uh,
0: let's see. Uh, it, it, it wouldn't be the case if it was deeper into the mantle, because that would be doing the that would be the right effect. Whereas I want, you know, I don't know if somehow the accreted terrain was able to kind of release water, uh, release the, you know, help add pressure without the temperature change necessarily to release the water from the slab before it actually gets down, um, you know, and I, um, but I'm not, uh, I, I mean that would be interesting. I don't, I don't know. But the big thing, the big question mark is what's happening specifically that i mean i just have a pattern and that more or less the claim because i can't really i don't have a good argument you know a good argument would be something like you're like i'm kind of extrapolating or turning into would be like oh well it's the accreted terrain and it has this effect on the plate before it has a chance it's still getting subducted but isn't any water but then it's not melting anything you know or something like that that would be like you know i'd have an argument because i'd have these maybe uh separate theoretical or evidentiary premises that i'd be applying to the thing and then therefore and i could do that i don't have any of that i just am like look at that pattern. it's because of that thing you know which is <laughs> sort of like that guy shot him you know i saw him and he didn't i didn't like his
1: face you know <laughs> whatever uh <clears throat> that's where I, that- can you restate the claim That you believe but cannot prove, given my paraphrastic addendums and whatever and what we've got now, like what is even the claim? Um, the claim is that, um, uh, two.
0: It's funny. I don't know how else to phrase them, outside of just the the name given to them, (laughs) because I don't think people understood that that was something possible really until after the nineteen seventies when we finally kinda accepted plate tectonics. <laughs> so it's kind of a new thing and now we have this accreted terrains. It's like um so I'll just say these gaps in the relatively regular intervals between volcanoes in a volcanic arc that I'm talking about, the Cascade one, are related causally to these large terrains that were I <laughs> God
1: Jesus. Um I'm trying to figure out a way to say it. Is it related to the patterns of accreted terrains? Yeah,
0: but I don't know if accreted terrain is what you want me to change the vocabulary of. So I'm trying to think like, oh, do I need to change that or is accreted terrain Oh, no, yeah.
1: Sense? I mean, I'm fine with that as okay. of now. And I think I get that claim. The the
0: gaps are somehow related to the accreted terrains. And the okay. gaps are uh relatively larger distances between um volcanoes than the average distance or something
1: yep not knowing anything about the state of play in this particular science i wouldn't even know what the alternative hypotheses are or if there are any or if you're the first or only person to think of that one or what i have no idea but it's again if you want prima facie reasonableness to an ignoramus you got it I'm like, sure, that sounds fine. At least it could be. I think it's worth looking into. Yeah. I mean,
0: there are, like, accretionary processes that happen related to the actual subducting slab itself. Because, I mean, there's going to be friction, and, I mean, these two major things are ramming into each other. You're going to get some interesting additional dynamics at the contact zone, Um, you know. But uh, this is sort of a a separate thing. and And I've been trying to find stuff kind of loosey-goosey because, you know, one has many projects. And this is one where every once in a while I'll take a look. And I haven't found anything related to that, you know, in my relatively light searches. But I don't doubt that somebody would, if I talk to somebody who studies these kinds of subducting dynamics or whatever, that they wouldn't have at least some kind of potential answer but i i don't know maybe not you know maybe you know we're all maybe geologists are just caught up in a lot of other stuff right now and it's it's just you know it, as i said i mean it's really the 70s which isn't too long ago uh not too much you know beyond our lifetime i think it was 1971 i think when f- the plate tectonics was finally like oh, okay you know looks like the plates are moving around the uh planet and that really wow yeah like uh, talk you know another dark ages type thing i didn't know it was that fresh it's yeah. that fresh in terms of the community saying oh like you know the you know climate change people being like oh you know like this is you know all climate scientists are like yeah it's happening and never at one else.
1: point plate tectonics yeah. was like morphogenetic reson morph uh w- resonance or what yeah yeah he is now like what's his name um
0: uh, the guy who came up with the idea, um, Alfred Wegener, you know, he was a meteorologist, and he was doing something not too dissimilar to, I guess, I did, just looking at a map, you know, and he just noticed that the the continents seemed to kind of fit together a little. And so then he started to do more, in, you know, going into that. But there's a lot of people, like the guy who's with the Missoula Flood's, uh, an area you'll be driving through at some point relatively soon. This guy um Jay Harlan Bretts, you know, he just, you know, without like without having all the information came to this conclusion that there was a really giant flood from all of the geological mapping and research that he was doing in that area of eastern Washington state. Anyway, it really isn't until later when we're flying in our Cessnas over the thing that we go, oh, yeah, wow, look, you can kind of see waves in the land, <laughs> you know, like, because there's all this other material that's been deposited because of the glaciers. It's called Lurse, and it's a really fine powder, and you have it, I'm sure, potentially in Minnesota where you are, but in uh, in particular, quite a bit was dumped in the Washington State, and so when you know, a large body of water flows over some pretty light material like lers, um, which is really, really again like flour, you know. Um it it just totally created these ripples that you can see from above. They're giant ripples because the flooding was huge. And the similar thing they did quite a bit of uh they call it paleomagnetism and um it has to do with the way that when the uh, magnetic poles shift in the earth um, you know, the uh, particular kinds of uh, uh, mineral alignments are in a particular direction because of the iron content that they have. And so they're able to look at, you know, the way that it changed and th- that allowed them to finally put the sort of last kind of like, oh, okay, it looks like things really are moving because you could see the shifts moving away from these... Um, mid-ocean ridges, which are, um, they sometimes call them spreading zones. Um, anyway, if you think of the earth like a baseball with the, you know, the stitching, those would be like the spreading zones, maybe. But it was like my advisor beat out another, um, like an Australian guy for the job that he had his whole career, and it was in 1978, the year I was born, it was the first year he... Started his tenure track professorship. Anyway, uh, he beat that guy out because that guy was an expanding Earth guy, <laughs> which wasn't too crazy. You know what I mean? Like it was like, oh yeah, I mean it's still out there, but for the most part, the you community- mean like the
1: diameter of Earth is increasing all the time? Yeah, and that explains the patterns of
0: ocean crust and continental crust. And so there's this idea that it's just, you know it's expanding, and so there are these little cracks that are forming as it expands. And so that was one mm-hmm. of the models. But the other model was that they're moving because of some internal convectional type dynamics potentially in the earth's core, you know, uh, I mean, not the earth's core, but, you know, below the surface of the earth between, you know, this idea of a, an internal dynamo where you've got a you know, core, an outer core, like inner core, outer core mantle, and then that's all moving
1: across. So are the expanding earth people hollow earth people? No, I don't think so, but I can't. I... Cause that brings me to my next claim. No, t- <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're like, there's mushrooms and dinosaurs down there. Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah,
1: that's uh, that's that was my thing. I... That, it's beautiful, and it's a wonderful contrast, and it just mm-hmm. yeah, it is a contrast but... <laughs> for
0: sure. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So that's that's something that I think that I don't know. I don't really have any way to put it. You know, I mean I don't have any way to support it. I just see the pattern,
1: I'm like, that's to blame. But nonetheless. Sounded good to me. All right. And now for something completely different. Excellent. Most institutions in twenty eighteen America are very low on the scale of meritocracy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You had me at
0: meritocracy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would agree. I've got all kinds of cynical, negative, misanthropic, depressive comments about humanity, about Earth, and especially about the society I'm stuck in here in America. And that's one of them. I, since I don't really care too much about chimpanzee politics, I'd rather think about fixing heat death than think about electing Octavio Cortez or whatever. But, um, so that's, maybe there are good arguments for this, or maybe I think there would be, but I, this one might be too personal. I certainly don't know them. I just feel this way most of the time, that um, everything from our arts to our politics to our academy, I don't think meritocracy plays a very big role in most of our institutions. It's more likely something irrelevant and unrelated that causes or... Influences one's rise in their chosen domain of endeavor,
0: yeah, I am confident um, that if you did try and support that claim, that it wouldn't be long till you were able to
1: mm-hmm.
0: I obviously that might be another claim, like a subclaim or a, a tangential one or something. But yeah, <laughs> I I am like I'm pretty because I, I have run across that m- on multiple occasions. I think, and I don't I don't file that shit away. I just am like, yep, that confirms all of my belief. Confirmed <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I accept. Um, uh, and and it might it, maybe it's foolish too, but I, I'm pretty confident that's how it works isn't there a whole branch now of economists and financial people who essentially are concerned that what is happening right now is that essentially the wealth is being consolidated in sort of the inheritance uh uh, areas of you know our our society and the inheriting areas so like you know you got you know
1: that it's being hoarded.
0: Yeah, hoarded. Don Trump Jr. and then his kids will get the next amount, and the, you know, like it'll just—it's—it's it's being passed on, and it's not being—it's going. You know, uh what am I trying to say? Vertically, it's not going horizontally by any stand. Mm-hmm. And so, I thought that there's an actual concern that that is also an exacerbating effect to this—you know—dying middle class. This. Greater, you know, um, gap between the rich and the poor, and all that kind of stuff. That's why I'm kind of confident that you wouldn't, if you went and really looked and tried to tally it all up and uh, work it out, that you would probably find that would be your most successful support to whatever the claim is.
1: Yeah. Well, because merit merit is very horizontal, right? Mm -hmm. So, to the extent that one can provide arguments that current American society is virtually orthogonal in its wealth distribution, that it's very vertical, then, uh, that would be support for this claim, I guess. I think it's up against though, you know, that kind of, I
0: almost want to say in an evolutionary sense, it's kind of like up against some kind of like kin selection forcing, you know, in that it obviously isn't about survival or anything, but it's definitely, you know, okay, I you know, I really appreciated your parent and you're, you are interested in some of the same things as I am, even though your parent and I didn't do the same thing. Like, your parent was a nuclear physicist and I'm a journalist and you're into journalism. Yeah, come work for my paper. Like, it just, I get that. Like, you get these breaks. You're no better than anyone else. You may even be a lot worse. Maybe because in part you didn't really have to work for it because your life has been one s- sequence of these kind of events, one following the next, you know. And then of course the wealth thing—that's just wealth—is a factor that uh, paves its own way a lot of times. So I don't know. I, I, I yeah, that one seems a, a slam dunk to me in a way. Mm. But to me, it does. I don't know if it is. It seems like a lot of times a lot of people who at least on the re- Republican side of our co- our country's politics, they seem to t- to really declare uh, the whole idea the you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps meritocracy stuff. But they seem just like any other group of wealthy people to be providing opportunities for those that have inherited the capacity to receive them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and we're done.
1: Yeah, so this might have been a bad example on the dimension of can't be well-argued, at least according to Ryan. He's like, yeah, that one, not only do I agree with it, I think it can be argued. Yeah. I mean, you don't have an argument for it. And that's,
0: I think, the criteria to... Yeah, it. so it
1: got all back to the the you question. Like, well, I can't argue for it, but maybe there are good arguments. But... You know, right. there are plenty of people, I think, who would disagree with us about this. Most libertarians and contemporary conservatives, right, are under the mythos that the American dream is still a thing. Oh, yeah. Well... And maybe they're right. I don't know. Maybe.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't care about this. I give up. All right. So let's go back in time in order to go... Let's go back to the future. Ooh. Because... In my lifetime, as a Gen X millennial cusper, nobody cares or thinks or talks about this anymore, but, because I missed it by 15, 20 years, but if we go back a little bit, there were people thinking about the future, positively, such as Tim Leary, with his smile meme, uh, which stands for... Space migration, intelligence increase, and life extension. Mm. I think the dream of Tim Leary's smile is possible for human beings. Tempered by a bunch of George Carlin esque <laughs> defeatism, that probably we've missed our chance and fucked it up, and you know it's all over now. But there's no good reasons, I don't think, that prevented humanity from being out of this little gravity well and into the rest of the universe, being able to become smarter to an indefinite extent, and to live forever. Aging seems like a medical problem that can be fixed. We don't seem to spend nearly enough, we don't invest in this problem. But, as I'm sure somebody said before, I don't know how to properly attribute it, but there is a mortal illness that every human being has, and it doesn't get funding. You were talking about, in a previous episode, the cancer moonshots and whatnot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, why don't we shoot the moon on aging? Motherfucking everybody is dying! <laughs> We're all dying, and nobody's trying to fix it! Yeah, it's all... It's... But anyway, there's a claim I I accept but cannot prove. Aging is fixable. Earth is escapable, and there's no end to human intelligence. I I just like that. Like, who
0: would be like, no, I don't want that. I want to die. Well, apparently,
1: almost everyone, because we (laughs) don't invest very much in any of these domains. We're cutting back more and more and more on space exploration. Aubrey de Grey is still some poor homeless guy, judging by his beard. (laughs) Like, this stuff, we're not doing any of this. And obviously, people are getting dumber. Hmm. But yeah, so I guess we missed the boat. Maybe there was a chance at some point. I don't know. I don't see any of this happening, but I also don't see a reason it couldn't. I I, I just feel the need to remind you <laughs>
0: that I've read books by this person, and uh, that person's name is Peter Turchin and his cleodynamics and the idea that if he is onto something that society moves in cycles. That this is a down phase and we'll have an upswing, and that you know we just we have upswings and downswings in our society, and right now we're just on the downswing. It doesn't. Okay, it, that's cool. It, well, it doesn't help that we're coinciding with like all our great terrors of climate change and environmental destruction, and who knows what that means then for these cycles? Right, they can be disrupted.
1: We better not swing too far down, or it won't come back up. You mean? Yeah. You know? We might bottom out. The pendulum hits the table, and we don't get another tick. Well, I who knows with with the effects of climate
0: change, what'll will occur, how that will have an impact. Um, however big that impact might be, but definitely not because of the information I read on social media, or because of the memories I have of learning this stuff. But because of just my, you know, summer to summer experiences, I'm like, holy fuck. You know, I'm the kind of person, and my neighbor said this the other day, or the other day, this summer. We were talking about the heat, and, you know, she she was like, I'm a heat-loving person. Like, yeah, set me in the, the warm weather, sort of tropical environment, and I love it. And I'm just like, yeah, me too. But this is kind of, like, pathetic, you know, like, this is this is different kind of heat. This is kind of, like, incessant, persistent, nonstop kind of heat. And it's not even, like, a fun cultural thing. It's just, like, a <laughs> fucking goddamn... None of the plants can, like, handle it. You know what I mean? It's weird. It's not like they're adapted. And they're like, oh, I'll figure it out. You know, like, it, all the trees around here, like, they fucking you know, they change the color too soon and they lose their leaves soon. And they're just, they all look like they're just like never enough water. And like, well, you know, droughts happen. And it's like, yeah, but this is like, this is, this is the different kind of drought. This is kind of a longer lasting one. All the people I know who, who've lived here their whole lives are like, yeah, it used to rain. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's what they say. They're like, it
1: used to rain. I'm like, wow. Uh, Anyway. I know that happened in one of my Portland living years that it's, that was the reputation is that there was tons of rain and then all winter was brown and like, it's not happening. You guys are full of shit. Yep. But it used to, it used to really be
0: intense, you know, and you know, just constant. And even when I would visit my brother, when he lived here before me, I remember being like, wow, everything's just soggy and moldy and just, you know, like you can never get dry. Like, it's that kind of feeling. And it makes sense to me While everyone, why everyone around here has this habit of just, oh, habit. Um, everyone has this tendency to just, oh. <laughs> everyone has this tendency to light their fireplaces, you know, like to to get it going. Like, I'm always smelling fireplaces. And even when it's, like, not really cold and raining, and I'm like, I think that's just, like, I'll say it. I think it's just a habit of some people who've, like, you know, really lived through the rain. Are we
1: blabbering on at this point? Is that what this has become? And we're just like, blah, 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 blah. Well, I can't get you to disagree with me about anything. And I'm like, this topic was tailor-made for me to get radical and say crazy shit. At some point, I need to push a button. So it appears not to have happened so far. Maybe the 4.4 listeners all really,
0: really have a problem with you. But kind of like they said about Well, How- I'm sure they do, well, but, but they
1: need to but kind of fucking send me an email well, or something.
0: Well, that's it. Yeah, kind of like like uh, they said about Howard Stern. They're like, "I'm so mad at him,
1: but I just got to hear what he says next. It's appalling." Everybody better be appalled. So check out this fucking shit that comes next. Oh my god. I'm going to appall everybody, maybe even you. Oh. And I'm just going to say it in a provocative manner. Okay. Mathematics is an arbitrary human construction, an accident, there is no truth to it, we developed the math and science we did primarily because of the contingencies of our evolutionary embodiment and that there are an indefinite number of alternative coping strategies that are entirely distinct from that which we now have. I'm I'm really tempted to just end the
0: episode right there, just like go right into some rock song, just like damn, <laughs> you know. And <sighs> I might, I might, um, I, uh, and this is one of those things where you like you're confident beyond your ability to argue for it. Is that
1: yes? <laughs> I mean that this question is built for people like me that enjoy pushing the envelope <laughs> yes it is it sure most is. people in my experience tend to do almost the opposite of this one and some of the respondents to this edge question did the opposite of this one they were saying that their belief that they couldn't prove is all intelligent aliens will have converged upon our math and so that that would be right the template the codex on which we can have and build our confederation. Uh At least we'll have the same fucking math. And I tend, (laughs) I have the habit (laughs) of feeling the inverse. I think that human math is a complete arbitrary accident that is what it is because we've got five fingers or whatever. It's just a total fucking construction And that there might be, who knows how many, alternative coping mechanisms that would facilitate architecture and moonshots. And you can do what you want to do with all sorts of different symbolic constructions. And I don't think that math is a universal language. I think it's a total parochial accident. I don't know if this is going to delight you or... Make you scoff. Define math. That confluence of symbols and rules that consists extensively, primarily, of what we call numbers in their many different flavors. And they, while well, we keep adding more different types of numbers and whatever, but numbers and the rules for their manipulation. So it is. That is ac- accepted by some citadel of priests, you know. Whatever the, ma- those who are called mathematicians by our social institutions, whatever they think <laughs> the rules are.
0: mathematicians. Yeah.
1: Uh, um. Well now I'm
0: just thinking of cartoonish guys with white beards and like pointy hats with stars and crescent moons on them. So it's a formal system.
1: Yep. Okay. There's no informal system mathematics. I don't think so i don't know exactly what you mean but
0: you know in development of an organism or something like that you know algorithms uh telling things to stop you know like you know uh bilateral symmetry like you know geometry oh yeah
1: you mean like the you know types where they got the shell cut in half on the cover of their book with all the patterns and oh look there's fibonacci and the sunflowers and all that kind of stuff Well, just the idea that there's potentially in
0: the molecular information exchange processes, some kind of counting, you know, something says, well, stop here. And it does that on a really relatively consistent basis. I'm not saying that there's something deep down that it isn't just like, well, it just happened to stop there. But that in general, once you have like, okay, make three, then you can have Make four, make five. You know, like you can have little accidents. We'll oh, go back to two. You know, like, but then you know, obviously, I don't. I'm not saying we aren't putting on with our language or in spoken language or natural language, whatever you want to call it. I'm not saying we're not overlaying something on top of that in order to communicate with each other about it, but that there might be some natural tendency to have. Numbers to have addition to have subtraction. I don't know this
1: phrasing. Is this what you're saying? Uh, Are you saying, Harland? Are you denying that there are patterns of behavior? (laughs) And I no, no. I wouldn't say I was asking you that. That's not what you mean. No. That that's basically what I'm hearing when you say that certain things grow in. They have habits of growth, etc. There's patterns in behavior. Yeah. Right, and, and don't those patterns include some form of
0: numbers, counting, etc.? You know, even if that ca- counting is simply a pattern, like when you think about genetics, you know, there's like a stop molecule, you know? And so it's like boom, 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 stop. And then, you know what I mean? Like there's an algorithm, there's there's a rhythm to it. And I would just think that the way I always see math thrown around it's very loose it's sort of like yeah there's there's a you know there's a sort of inherent sort of natural component in math uh, or i mean in natural phenomena that already kind of enta- or, or, uh, embodies or contains those things that we just then
1: you know using our symbols and language just call out this kind of wraps into some of the earlier claims, I guess. If we rephrase your critique attempt as being something about, well, do you think there are algorithmic behavior patterns? That that's a lot like a law of nature, right? A uh, given certain inputs, one will get certain outputs. That's the bumper sticker of an algorithm right a reliable derivation method for if you see x you will get y i think there are those but i don't think that they are essential fixed and eternal but might be viable yeah i guess what i'm
0: trying to say is 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 our formal system just simply derived from a, an informal uh system the idea that there's Oh yeah, patterns at all that there's pattern seeking, you know, nervous systems out there Mm -hmm. that collect information and process it. To me, that almost seems like uh, has an element of I I I don't know. I mean, it seems like it could have an element of number crunching, you know. Um, Maybe it's not explicit in the sense that I am going to count right now on my hand: one, two, three, four, five fingers. You know or you know wh- whatever or or do the addition and and say oh i've got five fingers on one hand five fingers there on i got 10 fingers you know like that's kind of an explicit way of doing it but that is it possible that mathematics is we can use the word to apply to informal things or should we restrict the idea of mathematics to this formal system idea you know where yeah it is the thing that we construct it is the symbols we put together and that they then formulate or produce some uh, plan you know upon which you can revisit and use and that it it has its own kind of you know inputs and outputs and all that kind of stuff that's what i was trying Mm -hmm. to say so if it's all just you know math if i agree with you if we are only talking about math being a formal system thing that's it but if math also has potential to have other aspects to it that is informal and that is something that we sort of see as sort of, you know, the the actual math that we tend to think about, one plus one equals two, being an, a derived thing from
1: something more inherent, then I would say no. I thought I knew where you were going, and then at the very end, you lost me again. Oh, I lost because you because I, I disagree. Both of those things. Yes, I think that our if so, it to do the normative semantics part, I'm not making I don't want to adjudicate that whole thing right now, but should the token quote M A T H unquote <laughs> refer to mere symbolic manipulation or the entire general process of applying metrics to patterns? in the physical universe or what you know whatever the options are I'm not trying to get into that I want to agree with you if you're saying isn't it the case that our symbol system version of math is what it is because we are the type of animal we are that's I'm all about that that's the whole five finger counting whatever point well I, I was think trying I'm to missing s- something you're saying
0: well maybe I'll say it this way maybe there is there is something to count when there is someone to count it you know there is but that if you don't have something to count it is it still countable and if that oh, is okay. the you case think, yeah. oh. <laughs> if that is the case then is it possible that what you know then th- is it possible that math is something kind of in the general sense inherent to at least you know we could say biological systems or something because they seem so pattern driven i just keep my brain keeps going back to the geometry of flowers you know or sea stars or you know what i mean like it seems or there's the whole fractal dendritic patterns in trees or veins or rivers and streams and things like like there are all these patterns and you know is that a is that is there a quality there that is mathematical, and that we then formalize that in our own way. And is that what people are trying to say? Is that the universe is mathematical because they're saying there are these patterns, and we formalize them? But there are essentially these things out there, and all we're doing is just saying, you know, putting symbols to what we are claiming to be seeing or observing or detecting, whatever.
1: Could is this related to the potential question? Were there fractals in nature before humans invented recursion? Like, is that the kind... Like, that could be a question, right? Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, basically. Before, you know, humans invented, quote-unquote, recursion or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Are there those patterns in nature? And is that pattern mathematical? Or are we restricting math simply to the formal systems we create?
1: Maybe... In these terms, the way to phrase this claim attempt would be something like: The whatever humans choose to employ as their symbolic habits doesn't affect the objective nature of the reality. What you know, nature just is what it is, however, we choose to talk about it or represent it or. If, we, if I'm allowed to use the phrase cope with it, whatever we put in our math textbooks doesn't change the shape and pattern of the veins in the leaves, but that there are an indefinite number of potential ways to cope with the way that the veins are arranged in the leaves. So that's just the natural objective phenomena. The, the leaf is what it is but that there are different sets of concerns and projects that different species might have regarding leaves, and that human beings happened to develop a mathematics in the sense of a symbolic social construction that included concepts like fractals, that then we go look at the leaves and we notice some sort of apparent correspondence. Like, oh, it looks like the veins in these leaves, uh, this nature segment, co-responds to our conceptual construction of a fractal. Isn't that amazing? And wow, now we've discovered something about nature. Versus the zoomed out meta-perspective of who knows how many different ways there are to construct symbol systems that tell you something interesting about leaves. I don't know. This is getting far out and hard to say, but did any of that make sense? Yeah, I I have a question, though, and if
0: depending on your answer, it will make more or less sense, I suppose. Is saying what you're saying about math and leaves being, you know, it is what it is kind of thing, is it similar to saying... There is no English in the leaves. Um, like, you know, I mean... Is math... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is <laughs> Is uh, math... Like, if we can use math to explain the leaf, and we can use English to explain the leaf. But it doesn't change the leaf. The leaf is the leaf. There's no English in the leaf. There's no math in the
1: leaf. Is that what you're saying? Are you equating math to English? I mean, I would say that, but that's not the point of this. That's just trivially true. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is like, well, it
0: it goes back to my whole thing about even if there's no one to count, is the thing countable? Meaning, does it have uh, an inherent kind of numerical quality or what have you? I mean, does it have an algorithmic? Does it have a, you know, we were saying pattern before does that pattern, is there something you can do with it? Um, And is that particular thing that you would do with it tend to be math as we talk about it. And as other people want to say, other aliens would also do, would they also go to the leaf and count up the veins or come up with fractal geometry? Or is that something just uh, we would do like, Is what you're saying akin to me being like, no, aliens don't speak English, you know, or is it, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to get to the, the, what's the analogy or the analogous thing that you could be saying? Yeah, of course, not every damn alien out there would be speaking English. They may not communicate using vocal cords at all or, you know what I mean? Is that what you're trying to say? english or language as we are using it talking and breathing and doing all our stuff vocal cords all the whole apparatus specific to us or you know maybe even to some extent you know some birds say stuff sometimes i've heard some dogs go but that's youtube (laughs) um but is that specific to this planet and some of the particular lineages that evolved there And some other planet, they might not even communicate in that way. And so it's, is math like that? Like, that's just something we came up with because we have the apparatus to do it. Is math like English or language, you know, speaking and using your vocal cords to communicate in the way that we do?
1: Let's see if this helps. I think that it's similar to not necessarily a language, but a grammar. Like, the things like, being addable or countable is kind of like there being a subject predicate metaphysics in a grammar. Okay. And that that doesn't mean that's how the universe works, that there are things with properties because that's how English works. Because our math works on there being finite, distinguishable, bounded entities that are countable doesn't mean... That that's how the universe works, or that that's the only way to chop things up, or the only way to cope with it. I, anyway, I'm glad that at least this one <laughs> was a little bit, you know, hard to grasp and deal with, and yeah, made some friction. Uh, I and I don't even know what I'm saying, but that's the whole point of this. I you know, I think kind so. Of pushed envelope. The whole point um, is to show you, Harlan,
0: that you don't know what you're talking about.
1: Oh, well, that's easy enough. Shit. That's been evinced since episode zero. Doddlers
0: is over then. No. Um, All right. Well, is this that time of the night?
1: There used to be a rule where there's no new ideas after two hours. I know. So that means that I successfully saved my major claim that I believe but cannot prove. What? So that it can still be a totally separate episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, and this is my favoriteest and biggest one. Oh, my God. But we can't deal with it now because we're after two hours.
0: Well, and I... Yeah, Jesus.
1: So I only get to provide a little taste. No, no, just say it and we'll end on that. You want to say anything before it ends? Communication is the most foundational interaction type in the universe.